Thank you, Kim. So if you were with us last week, I also shared now that it's October, it's time for Dodger playoff baseball, which by the way, oh, that ended so quickly. Oh, but if you were here with us last week, I said October isn't just uh, Dodger playoff season, but it's as a church, the beginning of our season of giving, and that's gonna last long past October, all the way to the end of the calendar year. And it's a reminder for us as a church family that we have an opportunity to ask God, how would you give us on behalf of your purposes to one another as a church family, as you step out and serve, as you give your time and your prayers and your love to one another, but also how God might use us in our community, in our workplaces, with our neighbors, our roommates, our friends, our family. And it's an opportunity to say, God, would you use me for your kingdom purposes? Would you give through me for your glory to those in my life? And additionally, we shared that we've got a goal as a church family that we would give financially towards the work that God is doing in and through this church. And last year, during this fourth quarter in 2018, we collectively gave as a church $2.03 million as a church towards what God is doing. And our goal is roughly the same amount, just $30,000 more for this final quarter of the calendar year in 2019. We just want to simply let you know that so far in October, week and a half in, we're 92,000 and change towards that $2.06 million goal. And then you're like, that's a big gap to go. Well, actually, that's a great start. We're ahead of where we were this time last year. And so I simply want to share that with you as an update, just to remind all of you that this is our church and that you are part of a generous church that wants to give towards what God is doing on this campus, in this city, and around the globe. Now, in a moment, we're going to go to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. But before we do that, uh, I see even some of you grabbing your Bibles. That's good. Uh, But before we do that, uh, there's a couple things I want to say. You know, the title for today's sermon is What Just Happened, which is appropriate for the Acts chapter 4 text So if you were with us last week, show of hands, how many of you were here with us last week in person or online? Okay, so you heard last week in Acts chapter 3, this is the first recorded healing and miracle that Jesus did through the church after his resurrection, after he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now in Acts chapter 4, which we'll get to in a few minutes, there's a group of people who are asking Peter and John, what just happened And under whose authority did you do this? And by the power of what name did you do this? In fact, in Acts chapter 4, it's the first opposition, the first persecution of the early church. We'll get to that in a moment. But not just the question which has happened for them 2,000 years ago, but for those of us who were here last Sunday, I can ask the question, which has happened? So if you weren't with us, I got up and I said something I've never shared before from the pulpit. I shared, I believe that God is going to heal people today in our services. Now, if you're a first-time guest, I want you to know uh, that that is way outside my comfort zone, way outside my experiences. Uh, We'll get to that in a moment. But last week when I shared that, we witnessed healings in our midst. Emotionally, relationally, spiritually, physically. I ask, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So we had some individuals who literally have said, I have had this ailment for decades and it's beginning to be healed. We've had some people say, I've I've experienced this and it was instantly healed. I heard the story this morning of somebody who has a hole in their esophagus and while they were being prayed for, they literally felt like it was closing. I talked with people who said that they've lived with tremendous fear that instantly went away. Uh, Somebody shared with me that they've always had uh, unbelief when it comes to healing and God healed that instantly. We're hearing more and more stories of these emotional and relational and spiritual and physical healings. We also have had stories where people came forward and received prayer and instantly pain went away and the pain came back. 
We have stories of people who prayed and prayed and prayed and received prayer, and they've said, I experienced zero healing. We've had people come forward and say, you know, I've prayed for healing for, for years for loved ones in my life. I've never experienced that. We have to hold all of this. And I ask the question, what just happened? So in the fast, last couple of weeks, I've, uh, I've started my sermons by doing a, a Bible study. I want to do something a little different. I want to do a, a question and response. Uh, not like that you would put your hands up right now and ask questions and respond. We could be here till 5 p.m. But uh, a number of emails came in, uh, questions came in, and I, I'd love to just start our time before I get to Acts chapter 4. And this will set up what we're about to get to in the text, but I've got three questions I'd like to respond to as we get into this. And I encourage you, if you missed last week, you did not miss out. You did not miss out. Because I believe that God is doing, present tense, something in our midst. Not did and we missed it, darn. Now what do we think about that? No, God is doing, present tense, something in our midst. And I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled that you're joining us online. And if you missed last week, I would love for you to go online and to listen to that, to watch that wherever you can download and watch a podcast. But three questions I love to respond to. First, Drew, why did you say that God was going to heal people last Sunday? Why did you say that? I'm telling you, for the first time in my life, I shared it last week, I'll share it again. While I was preparing for last Sunday's sermon, I got this strong sense that God was going to heal people in our services. Never before in my life have I gotten that strong of a sense. I shared last week. That made me uncomfortable. It was outside my comfort zone. That was outside my experiences. You know, I began to think, well, what does this mean now? Is this like something that I'm supposed to like, I don't know, like, I, like, what does this mean, God? So I began to pray. And separately, two elders who had no idea what was going on in my prayer life got the sense that God was going to heal people on Sunday, and someone else got the sense that the glory of the Lord was going to fall upon this place in a significant way, and I became aware of those two things now. I have this sense that is now being confirmed by other elders in our church. And so we, we began to pray about it. We emailed our session, which is our elders, that's our teaching uh, elders and our ruling elders and our prayer team. We, we emailed them and all the responses that came in were, we have this sense that God is about to do this. We've been praying for this. And so the reason why I said people were going to be healed last week was not because that's my experience. It was simply me stepping out in obedience. And I can't tell you how terrifying that was. And if I looked uncomfortable, it's because I was. <laughs> and yet it was completely out of obedience that I stepped out because I truly believe that God was confirming among elders in our church that God wanted to do this here and right now. Second question. Did you really say, Drew, that it was God's will to heal everyone? Did you say that, Drew? Did I hear you say that? If so, why would you say that? I did say it, and the reason why is because Scripture says so. Now, before I get to where Scripture says so, I want to be crystal clear with you that there is nowhere in Scripture, and please do not hear me saying this, that the Bible affirms what is referred to as universalism. Universalism is a belief that everyone who's ever lived will experience salvation. Universalism is the belief that you don't need Jesus, that all paths lead to God. That's not at all what I'm saying. Don't put those words in my mouth. If you do, I'm going to spit them right out. And I'm going to leave them on the floor. Scripture says that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. It is a gift from God for those that believe. Jesus says, I am the way. Not one of many ways. He says, I am the truth. Not one of many truths. He says, I am the life. Not one of many options. There is salvation by no one else other than Jesus Christ. Crystal clear. I hope to communicate that to you. That's what scripture reveals. So Drew, why would you say that it's God's will and desire to heal everyone. Listen to these passages. First Timothy 
chapter 2, 1 and 4. So 1 through 4, if you're taking notes, please write these down. I'd love for you to go to God's Word. Again, what we're doing is we're allowing Scripture to define our lives. We're allowing Scripture to define our experiences, not the other way around. It is tempting for us to take our experiences and define Scripture, to make Scripture say what we have experienced before. No, no, we are allowing Scripture to inform us, to guide us, to lead us, to tell us and answer the question, what just happened? So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 say this. This is Paul writing to, to Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Can I hear you say, for everyone? For kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone, can I hear you say everyone? Everyone. To be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Greek word there for everyone is pantes. Can I hear you say pantes? Now, you have to understand that this word has uh, a meaning of wholeness, of totality, of everyone. In certain contexts, it means of all kinds. And there are some people that believe in this context that what Paul is saying is that God saves all kinds of people. But when you study the Greek language of this word and you understand the fullness of its usage across the New Testament, that when this word is being used in this context, it seems crystal clear that God's desire, that God's longing, that God's will is that everyone, not all kinds of people across different socioeconomic statuses or different types of people, no. God's longing is that all people would be saved. In fact, another place in Scripture, it says this. I'd love for you to write this down. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Say this, but do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any, can I hear you say any? Not wanting any to perish, but all, can I hear you say all? But all to come to Repentance, and it's that same Greek word, pantes. It's God's longing, it's God's desire, it's God's will that none should perish and that all should repent and turn to the Lord. In fact, write this down too. John 3, 17 says this, that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but to save it. Now, the word save is sozo, one of my favorite words, thanks to Pastor Mike Morgan. He reminded me of this word. It's used 107 times in the New Testament. It's used 30 times in the Luke and Acts books of the Bible. And that word sozo has more to do than just spiritual, I get into heaven. It has to do with spiritual, emotional, relational, physical healing. There are many translations where it says that God healed people through Jesus Christ, and that word healed that we've translated in the English to healed is actually the word sozo. So it's God's longing that all would be sozoed, and God is accomplishing that by sending his son into the world to sozo it. But Drew, why aren't some people saved and why aren't all people healed? It sounds like you're a universalist, Drew. No, no, no. Spitting that back out. Step with me into the tension of this for a moment. It's God's long and it's God's desire that all would be saved, that all would be healed, that God has sent his son not to condemn the world but to sozo it, to save it. So why aren't all people healed? Because Scripture says so. 
those who didn't put their faith and trust in Jesus, first and foremost, aren't saved. Jesus says that you must believe in me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, Jesus says. Well, why aren't all believers then, Drew? Why aren't they all healed? Didn't you just say that last week? I did say that. This is what scripture says. Paul, for example, I'd love for you to write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In fact, let me read this. Again, we are allowing scripture to, to, to frame our understanding of our world, of ourselves, of God, of what just happened. And 2 Corinthians 12 says this. The second part of verse 7 Paul says, therefore, to keep me from being too elated, some translations say to be too prideful, too puffed up, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. But the Lord spoke to me, Paul says. Take a look at this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul goes on, he says, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I, Paul, am content with the weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. So yes, it's God's desire, it's God's longing for all people to be saved, God's people to be healed, and yet here we have an example right here in Scripture where Paul says, I've prayed for healing, and the voice from heaven from the Lord himself says to me, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so in that moment, Paul is rejoicing in the fact that his Lord and his grace was bigger than his hardship, bigger than his ailment, bigger than the thorn in his flesh. Now hang with me here. Mark chapter six, I'm gonna read this as well. If you're taking notes, would love for you to write this down and read it later. This is early on in the ministry of Jesus. Verse two of Mark six. On the Sabbath, he, this is Jesus, began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all of this? What is this wisdom that he's been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. This is his hometown. This is Nazareth. This is where he grew up. They only saw Jesus from Nazareth as a man. And remember last week I shared that Jesus is fully human and fully God. He's not 50-50. He doesn't go back and forth. I'm a little bit man on this week and God this week. It's, it's, it's not at all. He's fully both. And they were offended at Jesus. They were agitated. This is aggressive language here in the Greek language. And listen to this. Verse four, when Jesus said to them, prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. Ready for this? Verse five, and he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now here we've got an example where the experience of the healing power of Jesus wasn't there as a result of their unbelief, as a result of them looking at Jesus in, in human, worldly terms. Now, I want to be crystal clear. Don't put words in my mouth. God's enemy would love to say, the reason why you aren't healed is because you don't have enough faith, because the person who prayed for you doesn't have enough faith. Because there's, there's, there's sin in your life that you don't know about. That's the reason why you are not being healed. That's from God's enemy. And yet at the same time, there is this experience in Nazareth where Jesus' power wasn't diminished. You can't diminish the power of Jesus' power. But the experience of his healing power wasn't there. 
And so you have places like Bethany, where Jesus was welcome, where perhaps the most profound miracle took place, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. You have Jerusalem, which was so highly religious and about all the things that we could do for God. Jesus never rested his head in Jerusalem. He always came back to Bethany. And then you have places like Nazareth where it was such a worldly view of Jesus that they didn't believe that that it wasn't experienced. So you might say, Drew, okay, you seem like you're talking on both sides of your mouth. No. There is this great tension that is revealed throughout the fullness of Scripture. That the love of God and the wrath of God are not mutually exclusive. That the meekness of Jesus and the mightiness of Jesus aren't mutually exclusive. That the sovereignty of God and the free will of humanity aren't mutually exclusive. That God's desire for healing in our lives and yet finding meaning in the midst of not having those answered prayers aren't mutually exclusive. The problem is that we live in a modern, Western, post-enlightenment worldview where we have to, as people, put things in nice, neat little boxes for the world, for God to make sense. And I know some people who do this as it relates to this. They say, we should pray for healing all the time because there's no meaning in suffering. And I know some who say, we should never pray for healing. Because suffering is there because of what God wants to tell you in it. Do you realize how both of those views do not reflect what scripture reveals to us? And yet it's so much easier to live in a very compartmentalized world and say, name it and claim it, you just pray and pray and pray and it's gonna get healed and if there's not enough faith and there's not enough faith and we just gotta ramp it up, It's kind of easy to live in that worldview because it's hard to find meaning in the midst of suffering. It's hard to enter into a relationship with somebody who isn't being healed and to to grieve with them, to to pray with them, to, to walk with them through their pain and suffering. And also, on the other hand, it's so easy to just say, everything that comes, even every cold, even every stubbed toe, even me choking on a you know, a hot dog or whatever it is at a Dodger game. All those things are from God, and there's meaning behind it, and we should never pray for anything. It, it, is, it, it is easier, and it's convenient to live in that, that box. But what I constantly see in Scripture is that God is inviting us to step into relationship with Him, to live in the tension between these seemingly opposing things, to enter into this mysterious relationship of a God who longs for us to experience healing and a God who longs for us to find meaning even when our prayers aren't answered. I've got a couple questions for you. How many of you were here last week in person or online and you would say that physically or emotionally or relationally or spiritually, whether completely or partially, you experienced some sort of healing last week? And can you just keep those hands up and just look around the room. How significant is that? We praise God for that. We absolutely praise God for that. And we're about to get to a text in Scripture that says that all of these things are a sign that should point to Jesus being who Jesus says he really is. It's about his glory. It's about his purposes. And it's for his glory, and it's for his namesake. And in a moment, we're going to get to the sermon which says that when we share the stories when we give testimony to what God has done in our lives, that there is power in that testimony and the Holy Spirit can come and there can be more healing. That's what Scripture says. Now, before you put me or us into a box, how many of you, show of hands, would say that last week you prayed for healing, you came forward asking for prayer for healing, And you would say that you have not experienced any healing at all. That takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of vulnerability. Would you be courageous enough to put your hands up? 
And I, please put them up a little bit high. I know that takes a lot of courage. I know that takes a lot of courage. And I want to say how proud of you I am. And how amazing it is that you can come here on a day where we're talking about healing and be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I prayed and it wasn't answered. Thank God that you're here. Thank God that you're here. And the fact that you can be bold like that, I give glory to God and I thank God for it. And in the same way that the Apostle Paul says, you know, I... I'm really, I, I'm, I'm content in these things in all circumstances, and it's God's grace that is sufficient for me, and it's his power and my weakness, and I'm going to find meaning in this suffering. Maybe it's some of you that put the same hands up, but how many of you would say that while you are waiting for that healing to come, whether it's this side of eternity or it's in God's presence in the new heavens and the new earth? that you are finding meaning right now and holding on to the grace that God gives you. How many of you are finding meaning in the midst of your suffering? Now put your hands up really high. And I want you to hear this while you look around and see these hands up. That is as much of a miracle. That is much of a healing as those who raised their hands that said, I experienced partial or full healing. And you putting your hands up and finding God's grace being sufficient for you is sozo, is a healing work. It doesn't rationally make sense that while you're part of a community where some people are getting healed, that you're finding contentment and peace and joy and meaning in the midst of the suffering. What a miracle for God's glory. And we as a church, I believe that God is calling us to tell those stories that we collectively would give testimony to, that we would give word to all the different forms of healing in our lives, whether that's partial, whether that's full, whether that's emotional, relational, spiritual, physical, whether that's finding joy and peace and meaning in the midst of it. This is for God's glory. And it really requires us to step into what Scripture says that we rejoice with those that rejoice and we grieve with those that grieve. Let that sit with you for a moment in the fact that we had multiple responses for a moment, a moment ago. We rejoice with those that rejoice. We rejoice with those that experienced healing. We rejoice with those that have found contentment and joy and peace and grace in the midst of suffering. And we grieve with those that are not content, have not found that peace, do not yet have found that meaning in the midst of suffering, who are crying out, who are praying, who are longing for healing, have yet to experience that. Scripture says we rejoice with those that rejoice and we grieve with those that grieve. What it doesn't say is that because some people are healed and not healed that we should just avoid the topic altogether. I mean, think about how much easier that would be for me, for you, in your lives. No, Scripture calls us to step out in obedience, to rejoice with those that rejoice and grieve with those that grieve. And so what we are doing, we are called to pray and expect and believe in healing. Full stop to yearn for that, to hunger for it, to believe God at God's word, that he says, I have come to do this and I long for it. And some of us need to repent, like me, like I shared last week, of frankly falling into this kind of complacent, I'm gonna pray for people to comfort them, I'm gonna pray for people, you know, if it's God's will to heal them, I am repenting, which means I am turning to God and I am expecting and I am longing for and I'm praying for healing in our midst. And as I'm stepping out obediently, I feel like I'm experiencing this deep, profound joy in the midst of it. It's terrifying and it's amazing. <laughs> as weird as that sounds. And maybe some of you have yet to find meaning in the midst of your suffering and you're blaming God for what you're experiencing, or you're filled with shame, thinking it's this lack of faith, or it's sin in your life, or not enough faith, or somebody who prayed for you, there's something off with them. 
I believe Scripture says that you need to repent of that and hear the words of the Lord to you to say in the midst of this that God's grace is sufficient for you in the midst of it. And to not find that those two things are mutually exclusive. Would you do the hard work, before I start a sermon, <clears throat> of actually praying to God, how do you want my heart and my mind to change? Would you perhaps pray, God, have I fallen into unbelief, completely doubting that you'll ever heal and being suspicious of any healing? And if so, would you pray, God, through the power of your spirit, would you lead me to your truth that's revealed in Scripture? Would you help me to repent, to turn to you? Would you reveal to me who you are and what you mean and what your intents are about this? Maybe some of you, like I said, as, as you turn to the Lord, that you would say, God, you know, maybe I, I'm just bitter at you. I'm just angry at you. I, I, I. Would you turn to the Lord and say, God, what would you have for me in this? How am I missing what you long for me to experience right now? And I just trust that the Holy Spirit will do the work that the Holy Spirit will do in your life. But you've got to step out. And it's terrifying for some of you. For me, it is. Hugely. But why just go through life in a comfort zone? This is what I've always experienced. I, I've got it all figured out. I, you know, don't, 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 don't mess with me, Drew. Don't, don't, you know. No, God is calling you for so much more. And I believe that Jesus is calling us as a church to step out in faith right now in this season in all of those ways and obediently follow him. And I have no idea what that's going to look like to, in your life tomorrow or this week or this month. But as we step out in faith, as we come to God's word, as we allow it to be authoritative for faith and practice in our life, as we are led by the Holy Spirit, we have no idea the marvelous adventure that God has for us and what God wants to do through us. So can I finally preach this sermon? Okay. First time guests are like, what was that? Was, wasn't that a sermon? <laughs> Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, if we would, go there. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And like last week, this will be a short and sweet message. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. We're going to have a prayer team available after the service. If you're in need of healing, if you're in need of hope, if you have Stories to share, we'd love to hear them. And let's turn to this right now, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day their rulers and elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, 
It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. So if you are taking notes, three points that I want to make, and they are this, the strength of the opposition. Number two, the strength of the testimony. And third and finally, the strength of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So first, the strength of the opposition. I cannot underscore to you how significant it was that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, goes into great detail as to who confronts Peter and John after this miracle, after this healing, after they're sharing what has happened. At the top of chapter 4, it says that it is the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. Later on in verse 5, it says the rulers and elders and scribes, they all assembled in Jerusalem. In verse 6, Annas the high priest, who is now retired from that role. Caiaphas, who was the current high priest. John, who they believe was next in line, and Alexander, who was then next in line. This was literally in the nation of Israel. This was like the Supreme Court and all the government officials. It was the kings, and it was like the presidents and the former presidents and the future presidents. They were all there, and they were much annoyed. And it says that they were threatening Peter and John. In the Greek language, this is such strong language. This isn't just a difference of opinion. This level of opposition is coming with consequences. And you have to understand, we are 2,000 years removed, and perhaps we have no idea what it was like for Peter and John, who months before that were living in fear that this moment would happen. They were locked up behind closed doors before the resurrection of Jesus because they were fearful of moments like this. And now here they are. And back then is no different than today. There is profound strength in opposition to Jesus Christ. In the world that you live in, the world that I live in, same world, there's such profound strength of opposition that says Jesus isn't who he says he is, that the resurrection didn't happen, that all of this is just made up, that this is a waste of time, you know, that healings are just, you know, in your mind. There's profound opposition today. And if you were not aware of that opposition, you're going to get bowled right over. There's a phenomenal podcast I've been listening to, I've been sharing with almost everyone I know. It's, uh, it's called This Cultural Moment. And it's two pastors, one in Portland, one in Australia, and they're simply sharing, what does it mean for us to follow the way of Jesus in a post-Christian context? 
And they talk about how in a post-Christian context, in a culture that is reactionary against who Jesus is, the authority of God's Word, the resurrection from the dead, you know, all the things that that Scripture tells us of who we are and how we're supposed to live and what God longs to do in and through us, that there is danger that if we don't understand that and we kind of, you know, nonchalantly go out into the world, even trying to share our faith, that if we don't understand the opposition, there is great danger that we become, in the language they use, that we become colonized by culture. We become colonized by that post-Christian culture. Over time, we begin to believe, yeah, you know, maybe... Yeah, maybe healings don't happen. Maybe, I mean, maybe Jesus didn't rise from the grave. Maybe, you know, he's just, maybe, maybe all of it is just a metaphor. Maybe this really isn't just, there's strength in opposition. And what I long for us to be aware of is this deep soberness that when we enter out into the world as followers of Christ, there are people and there are God's enemy and there are worldviews and there are systems that are dramatically opposed to you, what you believe, and God's purposes in and through your life. This was true back then. This is true today. But number two, the power of the testimony. This is so phenomenal. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They have such profound boldness. We saw what we saw. We heard what we heard. It's not us that did this. You can maybe read later the second half of Acts chapter 3. Peter gets up and says, no, 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 this is not us. This is not us drumming up. No, no, no. Jesus did this. It's by his name. It's by his power. And we, we saw what we saw and we heard what we heard and that's it. And there's strength in that testimony. And for the first time in the early church, people began to believe simply because of the word of the testimony. This is the first time in the early church where people are not having a first-hand account but are now having a second-hand account and simply the word of the testimony is causing people's hearts to be open to the Holy Spirit leading them to God the Father. And it says now after this, 5,000 people were following Jesus as a result. And what's so remarkable is that we live in a world where every single one of you, as you pursue Jesus, has a testimony. And you need to understand that you are the world's foremost expert when it comes to what God has done in and through your life. There is nobody who is more qualified on the planet to share with others what God has done, is doing, and believe will do in and through your life. You're better at that than I am. You're better at that than, than any scholar. You're better at that than any, anybody because It's what God is doing in your midst. And last week, remember I shared, I I, I pray that God, I'm stumbling over these words because it's, I, I sense that God wants you to understand last week that God wants to use you to be a healing presence in people's lives, to long for that, to pray for that, to believe in that. This is not just for some, not just pastors, not just elders, but God has called you to be the saints for the ministry of the church. And in the same way, I long that you hear this, that God wants you to share your testimony, what God has done in and through your life, not just for me to tell your story or our media team to tell your story, but for you to grow in your ability to share. I haven't been healed but here's where I have peace and here's where I have joy. Or I have been healed. Let me share this with you. There is power in the testimony. And we're going to get into it in the book of Acts that when the testimony, the word is shared of what God has done, as I said it before, I'll say it again, that it literally creates an environment where the Holy Spirit can move in a more profound way. And so... I long for us to share those stories, to create those environments. We have no idea what's going to happen today, but I believe that as we share the stories that God is going to be consistent with who God says God is 
and more healings will happen. Third point, the strength of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I love this. The, you know, the Supreme Court, so to speak, is basically saying, who are these guys? I mean, they're, they're ordinary men. They're, they're uneducated men. They're unlearned men. Where do they get this boldness? And they say, oh, these are the guys who are companions with Jesus. Oh, they've been with Jesus. That's where the strength comes from. That's where the boldness comes from. So Peter and John, their relationship with Jesus, their obedience to Jesus, their longing to follow Jesus has now become stronger than their pedigree according to the world. Later on, the Apostle Paul realizes, though he's the opposite of Peter and John, he is a educated, he is an extraordinary, he has tremendous pedigree. He actually says the same thing, that my relationship with Jesus is more profound, more significant, stronger than all the other things the world says that I have. The reason why the power of the testimony and the strength of the testimony overwhelmed the strength of the opposition was because it flowed out of their relationship with Jesus. The reason why kind of a name it and claim it, which I don't know people who name it and claim it personally, but if I was to imagine that if I just went around just, just naming it, you be healed, you be healed, you be healed, you be healed, and I, I'm going to own it for myself, if I wasn't cultivating a relationship with Jesus Christ, then the strength of the opposition would be stronger than the strength of the testimony because it wasn't flowing out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you strengthen that relationship with Jesus, when you run to Jesus and say, I don't understand why you heal people and you don't heal people, and, and I don't understand the mystery of this and the tension of this, but if you run to Jesus in prayer, if you're vulnerable enough and courageous enough to be in a community, to ask questions, to go to God's word, to wrestle with this together, I'm telling you, the relationship will strengthen in such a profound way that God will do something in your life and the strength of the testimony that flows out of it will be stronger than any opposition that comes in your life. In fact, Luke 21, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit which this is all relational language, so that when people oppose you, and this isn't, you know, oppose you when you're trying to get a spot in the, you know, grocery store parking lot. No, no, this is opposing the testimony of who Jesus is in your life. He says the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom to answer them so that they will have no response and no rebuttal. Read it later in Luke 21. So we don't have to have fear as we cultivate that relationship with Jesus Christ that as we go out in this world and when people say, no, your son, Penn, wasn't healed. No, your esophagus didn't come back together. No, 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 no. That out of the relationship with Jesus that we would receive wisdom in that moment to have a word to share with them that ultimately would lead to them perhaps turning to God for the first time, praising God for the first time that the strength of your testimony through Jesus Christ will be stronger than the opposition. I feel like I've made no sense today. <laughs> no? Okay. <clears throat> so, you know, frankly, I shared last week, I'm a beginner in this, and what's this? In living in the tension of God wants to heal and God is going to heal. And God gives us hope and God's presence in the midst of suffering. That's outside my comfort zone. I've, I've over the years, have gravitated towards, oh, there's a lot of meaning in suffering. And I've, I've stopped praying for healing. And I'm confessing that to you as the church that I love, that I shepherd. I'm repenting again and again and again and again and again and again. And let's just take one step at a time, running to Jesus, believing the words of Peter who says there is salvation 
from no one else other than Jesus Christ, that we would step towards that day and day and day and we would say, Holy Spirit, what are the things that I'm running to for healing? What are the things that I'm running to for salvation? Am I running to my good works? Am I running to things that I think I need to get or to have or to experience to finally feel whole or enough or loved? Am I running to my own abilities? You see, the point of all this, Peter, and I'm, we are saying there's salvation under no one else. True healing only comes from Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Run to him. And as you run to him, know that he's already run to you. The book of Romans says that God demonstrated his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we had our backs to him, Christ died for us. What love. He runs to us out of love, out of joy, longing to heal, longing to give hope, longing to save, longing to give you strength, longing to give you peace, longing to give you a future. Let's turn to him. Let's pray. Loving God, we gather here. I know me and I imagine many of us perhaps caught in a tension that forces me and I, I pray forces us to have no other choice than to run to you. And so God, I trust that you're doing these things to cause us to be more dependent upon you, Jesus. to cause us not to be like the Pharisees that were so focused on works and the law and interpretation that they missed you, that we wouldn't be like the Sadducees that denied the power of you, the resurrection, healing, but that we would simply run to you, Jesus, that you would guide us, that you would empower us, and then as like Peter, who months before denied you, Jesus, three times, and now out of the overflow of a relationship with you is speaking boldly on your behalf, God, I pray hope in people's lives who feel like they've messed up too much to ever be used for you. God, would you heal that in their lives? Would you help them to see themselves as you see them? Beloved in Christ, bought at a price, the price being the life of your son. Would they see themselves as worth being pursued by the King of kings and Lord of lords? And God, would we love others because you first loved us? Heal our view of you, ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen.